This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Taking Back Sunday have responded back to former guitarist Fred Mascherino. In October 2007, the band and Mascherino parted ways so he could devote more time to the colour Fred. Mascherino said that one of the reasons he left was that the band was more about cooking food than making music, according to Newsday. We asked Taking Back Sunday about those claims. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm still obsessed with cooking and eating and yeah. sewing and dancing. Led by charismatic frontman Adam Lazra, Taking Back Sunday from Long Island, New York have been performing for over two decades with seven full-length records under their belt in what has been a long and impressive career. Known for their genre-defining use of dual lead vocals and their energetic live performances, Taking Back Sunday's first three records were, and still are, essential emo listening. 2002's Tell All Your Friends was a spirited debut that helped the band stand out from the crowd and featured John Nolan on guitar and vocals before he departed the group and was replaced by Fred Mascherino. Mascherino first appeared on 2004's Where You Want To Be, which showcased a new maturity to the band's songwriting before jumping to a major label for 2006's Louder Now, a powerful record that showcased the band's talent but also the unfolding turmoil within the group. In 2007, Fred Mascherino left the band and through significant lineup changes and even a return to their reputed classic lineup, the band has struggled to emulate their early success. I'm Paul, alongside me is Nick, and today on Violence and Sunshine, we're exploring the early triumphs of Taking Back Sunday. Well, Skinny Nick, it's taken us about 29 episodes to get back to this point. When we originally started this show, episode four was to be Taking Back Sunday. We recorded it, we did it with our great friend Mike. It didn't quite go as planned, so here we are <laughs> to talk about Taking Back Sunday today. Yeah, man, it's it's so weird to think that I don't even know how long has passed, like over, over six months, man. But it was a lot of fun, and we talked a lot about Taking Back Sunday, of which, you know, it's not lost. You and I will get into it, and um, yeah, what a great band to talk about. It's a shame it didn't work out, because we did try to push through it. You know, it was probably too early to be experimenting with the format. We were just kind of working out our own flow, and then we threw someone else in the deep end and being like, yeah, hey, come do a podcast with us. But it's a shame because Mike had some great points, but hey, maybe there might be a little opportunity a bit later on to, to hear what he has to say. But we are here to talk about Taking Back Sunday. It's practically 20 years since Tell All Your Friends was released. March 26, 2002, we've got this fantastic record out on Victory Records, this early pre-scene emo masterpiece, if you will, um, certainly one of the biggest records of the time, one that has kind of stood the test of time. I had the Taking Back Sunday Run DMC t-shirt. I was a big fanboy of this record. And 20 years on, you know, it still kind of hits a lot of those sweet spots for me. Little emo Paul kind of comes out of the woodwork. And I, I think about, you know, your lipstick, his collar, don't bother, Angel. I know exactly <laughs> what goes on. You know, little little sweeping fringe me just comes straight back out when that when I hear that line. Yeah, man, it really is one of those early early emo classics, isn't it? Like two thousand and two, uh, a little bit ahead of some of the other stuff we've talked about, 
and and a little bit ahead of that kind of sweet spot that we often refer to in more that kind of 04 to 06 period. So this was one that uh, I don't recall getting super into at the time outside of the singles. Like liked what I heard. Uh, you and I weren't like super close mates yet, so I didn't have you there to kind of show me some of this stuff. And uh, it's an album that I probably listened to more after I got more into Taking Back Sunday, which was which was from their later records and then going back and listening to the early stuff. But this week, listening to Tell All Your Friends, it's been an absolute pleasure. It is so, so nice. Uh, John and Adam's vocals together on this album are super cool. Uh, it's just heaps of light and shade, uh, little screams, little yells, super emo classic vocals too, but... It's a really, really nice debut. Like I was, I was really impressed this week listening to it, and it was, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. If that meant, like, I wasn't expecting to enjoy this album of the three we're going to kind of talk about the most in this episode. I wasn't expecting to enjoy this one as much as I did, man. It's just an absolute killer record. I'm not sure if it's the same for you, but the case for me, and we've spoken about it plenty, is. It's one of those records that you feel like you could have done this just in the sense this is five people in a room making real music together. You know, five friends that grew up around the same area trying to figure out who the best combination of members are. You know, they had a bit of a rotating membership even before the big significant member changes that came to kind of find the right fit and find the right five dudes that could put this kind of record out and make this kind of sound that, you know, we were hearing a couple of years later in our own hometown. So I do think that this band really represent a place in time and certainly laid the path for a bunch of other bands. I do think Taking Back Sunday are probably one of the scene's biggest bands and you can't get there without a foundation like this. You know, there's incredible singles on this record. This record is one of Victory Records' biggest outputs ever. And here we are 20 years later, still celebrating it, still talking about it. And there are still plenty of bangers that I'm going back to. You know, you're so last summer. The music video has flavor flav in it. Have you caught that music video? <laughs> I don't recall that music video at all, man. That's amazing. I didn't know that. It's so good. So, you know, John Nolan is one of the key co-vocalists on this record. But during the touring cycle of the record, actually left the band due to kind of rising tensions, personal tensions with Adam Lazara, tensions within the band. And because of that, they didn't want to have Fred Mascherino, who joined the band, pretending to do someone else's lines. You know, sometimes you see that on a music video and it is a little bit corny seeing someone pretend to be someone else. And I think they handled it really well by bringing in Flavor Flav of all people from Public Enemy to come and pretend to sing those parts. And it's <laughs> a really goofy video. You know, it doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, we were right on the cusp of emo videos getting pretty like serious and brooding. Mm. And so to do something like that was quite a lot of fun and, and set a good tone for this band being, you know, a bit more fun despite being such a bunch of emos. This album for me, I, I was really surprised this week how much it's an album it's, it's a full album like really I, I think there's only kind of one uh week ish track i guess and it's the kind of chiodos bullshit intro to the blue channel <laughs> 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 the blue Channel's not a great song it starts with some cringy piano that goes nowhere leads nowhere it's just in there uh but then that you know kicks right back in with your soul last summer after that but literally I always found my, my only kind of gripe with Taking Back Sunday for me was I really kind of held on to the, the singles and the popular songs and never quite enjoyed uh, them enough to really 
dive into more of the the back catalogue and and the songs that weren't as popular. And and that probably is the case on other albums, but not so much this one. Like I really feel that from You Know How I Do, which is probably up there with your Solar Summer as the the catchiest, best song on the album outside of Cute Without the E, of course. Really, really clever, catchy lyrics there um, at the start and, and shows that you're in for something a little bit different. This isn't just a, a cringy emo band that are writing stock standard shit lyrics um, with crappy treble, trebled up guitar, you know, just nothing kind of going on. These guys are interesting. They're quirky. They're going for something a bit different. The lyrics are worth listening to and the use of the dual vocals on this album with John, later stuff with Fred, but a really unique band. And this, this album is where it all starts. And it's kind of, Hard to know where to go from there when your first album is is so good. Definitely, definitely. And I alluded to it earlier, you know, they had some kind of member mix-ups and changes to find their perfect balance. And Adam Lazra was an interesting addition because most of the guys are from kind of the New York area and have that kind of New York hardcore influence and flavor and, you know, that kind of punk scene coming together. And then you bring... Adam Lazarus with his, you know, Southern accent and his slightly more flamboyant approach and style. It kind of, it, it seemed to rub a few people the wrong way. Like I remember the insults about being a Taking Back Sunday fan based on kind of how Adam Lazarus presented himself and how he put himself out there. Yeah, it, it's weird. Like I, I also have these very, uh, you know, vague kind of memories of, a bit, I guess, a, a little bit of ill feelings towards Adam Lazarus and... And I don't know if it was just because, you know, he was a bit of a showman. Uh, he wasn't afraid to put himself out there. Uh, he was, is definitely a bit more in touch with his feminine side than some other people in the scene. We've talked that this scene struggles um, with include like including anyone that's slightly diverse or, or different. Um, but yeah, I remember even our friendship group there being kind of a little bit of a knock on, you know, Adam just being, a, you know, I don't know, people just didn't quite get it, I don't think. I, I think they were slightly ahead. I've danced around it a bit. It was basically just homophobia. It's just yeah, that that's what it is. presumption that anyone who might be expressing themselves flamboyantly might be, you know, that way inclined, like that's a bad thing. And that was such a core part of the scene, I think. And it must have been really difficult to access the scene if you didn't identify as heterosexual, you know, we've spoken about the struggles for women. You can't even act kind of flamboyant or a little bit extra without getting that connotation in a scene that was full of like absurd haircuts and tight jeans. It just seemed to be weird that those were the places people drew the line. It's so crazy of, of what some people will decide is okay and what others will decide is not okay, even though there's like 99% similarities going on there. Like, as you said, like the fashion in this scene is, it, it was ridiculous at times. You know, people were wearing whatever the fuck they wanted. Hair, ridiculous, super tight jeans, you know, ripped... Makeup. Yeah, makeup, ripped singlets, nail polish, the works, and didn't matter. But then sometimes, you know, you get a guy like Adam and he's he's doing a very similar thing for the most part. Well, one of the things that I remember him copping flack for was like the whole like insane microphone swinging, like just... 30, 40 meters of cord kind of with the microphone at the end, just swinging around a stadium or a, or a nightclub or whatever it might be. And there was a shirt and I can't remember if it was brand new who did it or just members of brand new that wore it, but it was mics are for singing, not for swinging. And it formed kind of this basis of this brand new beef with Taking Back Sunday. Now you and I have danced around brand new for this entire show and, and it's caused us pain and we've spoken about it <laughs> off air. Basically, we fucking love brand new music, but it ultimately has come to light that 
Jesse Lacey is an absolute monster. And we're at pains often because we want to reference the things we love and the influence they've had. But the truth of the matter is the guy has groomed young people, has committed some atrocities. And it's something we actually keep kind of toying with the idea of talking about. Like people say to us, you're going to do brand new. We talk to each other. We're going to do brand new. So I guess firstly, I want to say to the listeners, if you want us to do brand new, let us know because we're still struggling with the idea. But let's talk about brand new now because of this beef. Jesse Lacey was initially in Taking Back Sunday for maybe a few months on base. And in the early 2000s, you were either team Taking Back Sunday or team brand new. And the reason for that was... It's alleged that Jesse Lacey's girlfriend cheated on him with John Nolan from Taking Back Sunday. So what that led to was this lyrical battle of emo devastation (laughs) where Brand New wrote a song called 70 Times 7 and they've got a line in there that says, I know I want to kill you like only a best friend could. Some nice, you know, toxic masculinity on display there. Taking Back Sunday, fire back on There's No I in Team with everything I learned about breaking hearts, I learned from you. It's true. And then later on the line, best friends mean I pull the trigger. Best friends means you'll get what you deserve. So there's some little emo jabs going on here. It's not quite like a East Coast, West Coast rap battle <laughs> um, or anything like that. But it's certainly, um, this was this was a big deal back in the day. You know, in hindsight, it's kind of it's quite petty, it's quite trivial, but it, it mattered so much in the early days of the scene. You know, which side are you on? It's crazy that uh, that Jesse did start out in Taking Back Sunday because this is a band that already had two, basically, two lead singers. You know, you've got Adam and you've got John. They continue it throughout their career by adding Fred and then back to John. But they also had Jesse at the start and it just made me ask the question how many fucking amazing singers had to be around this crew at the time like you you had at one point those three kind of in a band together at once you know jesse then goes on to be one of the one of the most prominent lead singers in the in the scene and still probably outside of being a scumbag you know one of the best singers in this i think his voice is amazing i think most people agree and yeah, he was at one point in Taking Back Sunday, and it's just so wild to to imagine that, and probably uh, probably for the better that he left, because otherwise we wouldn't have got brand new music, which is amazing, as you said. You know, we'll see if we go down that rabbit hole and talk about them or not. But uh, yeah, there's very little denying how good the music is that they put out. So the beef is is funny. I love it. I think it's hilarious that these these bands kind of had these uh attacks and i love i love that they go as far as putting this shit in their songs and really making it be known that uh that that's what that line is about and that's who it's about it's fucking hilarious it was always hard to know and i think this is the complexity of relationships in general we were just seeing it play out in public but you know within a couple of years the bands not even that long maybe even within a year the bands toured together i think taking back sunday supported brand new i think long term i would have maybe taken the brand new side of the beef but in light of what we know in recent years, it's very hard to kind of see Jesse Lacey for me as anything other than a monster. And and I think it was really interesting in 2015, Adam Lazarus kind of out of nowhere had this to say in an interview when, when asked about the feud, I just think Jesse Lacey is a dick. He just sucks. He's not a good person. And at the time, everyone's just like, fuck salty, man, you know, grown ass man kind of bringing up this old feud that's kind of done with but now knowing what we know it, it kind of begs a question just like how much did others know you know i've heard other people kind of say like yeah he just doesn't seem that rad but 
that's kind of the extent of it. You know, were people aware of what he was up to? I don't know. Like I said, if people want to hear us talk about that one, go down that rabbit hole. It's been hard, man. We've basically spent the duration of this show being like deleting every brand new reference from the show, um, not wanting to go there. But um, yeah, an amazing band, as we've said. We did uh, we did mention uh, that, you know, we did attempt to do this episode with our good friend Mike. Um, some six months or so ago. He he can't be with us today because we're not fucking doing that to ourselves again. But I think we should hear... Let's hear from him now and uh, and see uh, see what he has to say about this great band. Please leave your message after the beep. Taking Back Sunday came in pretty hot with the combo of Tell All Your Friends as a debut album and Cute Without the Ears, a lead single which might I point out is definitely playing somewhere in the world at an emo revival nightclub right now with a bunch of drunk people screaming along to all of the many vocal parts, which is fantastic, and I hope they're having an excellent time. I love this band. I love this record. I remember reading somewhere, whilst I was really into it, that a new album was on the way and getting really excited. Um, Then I read further that a new guitarist, a new bass player and different producer was on the way, and I was a little bit worried that this new band I'd discovered were about to change. And then Where You Want to Be came, and I was pretty pleasantly surprised. I thought Tell All Your Friends was a bit scrappy at times regarding to its production and songwriting, which I loved about it and was part of the charm of it all. But hearing them on Where You Want to Be was a pretty decent step forward for me. It was like the screws had been tightened, sounds were far slicker and packed a bit more punch than they had on the last record. Songwriting pushed the boundaries a tiny bit more. Um, But the biggest things that I loved about this band and definitely this album when it was released were both the dueling guitar parts and the dueling vocals. Um, And half of each of these duties was being filled by the new guy, Fred Mascherino. Um, Now, losing a member who contributes vocals as much as John Nolan did on Tell All Your Friends and then replacing them is always going to be a difficult move to pull off. But TBS killed it with the inclusion of Fred, I feel. Even though Fred wasn't present on their first record where they sort of started shaping this sound, I think his presence was one of the most important features of the band. He could easily emulate the John parts from all the Tell All Your Friends tracks and was probably a better singer on paper than Adam. But he also definitely knew his role and that Adam was the troubled heartthrob frontman and he wrote his parts to complement and accentuate that and what the band had going on Um, and I was really impressed by that. Much like these guys did with Fred, quite a few bands from this genre have replaced lead or heavily contributing vocalists midway through their career with varying levels of success and acclaim to follow. I think it really worked for TBS and I think they're a better band for Fred's edition. Do you guys agree with this and do you have any examples of other bands who have improved or declined drastically with the addition of a new member mad love mike thank you so much for your thoughtful considerate words you know one of the people i grew up listening to taking back sunday with i think maybe was even a big part of getting me into them we'll kind of put the fred and john thing to the side for a moment as we kind of head towards the fred era but just kind of thinking of that can you think of any bands that have improved or declined drastically with the change of members like it, it can be a real roll of the dice and you can't always know and usually hindsight is what helps you decide this but are there any that come to mind for you okay, i remember talking a bit about in the in the under oath episode you know losing aaron uh, for Disambiguation album and feeling that there's no way this is going to be a good album. Like how on earth can you lose uh, such a key, integral part of your band? Literally, is another band with dual vocals and such a cool drummer. He leaves and somehow they drop 
an absolutely amazing album that we discussed a lot in our Under Oath episode, one of our favourites by them and one of the best albums to ever come out from the scene. So that's probably one that just instantly comes to mind that I, I, I cannot believe how well that worked out. It still baffles me. And that's a huge one. And another one we've discussed on the show as well is Bring Me the Horizon. Not so much the loss of a member, but the addition of Jordan Fish. What a profound impact that had on the arrangement of the band, the sound of the band, their ability to record, the effect it had on Ollie's vocals. How can one member make such a huge difference? It's something to be celebrated. And I think that band owes a hell of a lot to you know, their saving grace in Jordan Fish because by no means were they struggling, but that was a huge step up for them. He is such an important part of their band. Another one that I think who has enhanced a band greatly and is a band we'll talk about more again is Dance Gavin Dance. Over the last five years, they've had a rhythm guitarist backing vocalist named Andrew Wells play for them. And he's the lead singer of a band called Idola. And because Idola are their own standalone project and very much his project, he's stayed as a touring member of Dance Gavin Dance for that purpose, has become a fan favorite, has started appearing on records. You know, two records ago, did vocals on a song. The next one did backing vocals on a few and another verse on a song and has really kind of won the hearts of the fans as an integral contributor to that band. And we fast forward to now where they've got a new record coming out this year and he is songwriting with them, singing on multiple tracks, and he's finally joined the band as a full-time member. So he's someone who's kind of had his hands on the band for a good five, six, seven years and has finally kind of stepped up to the plate, made the fans happy. He's finally in the music videos. He's finally in the photos after being kind of behind the scenes for so long. So I love the impact he's had on the band. He's actually been a big part of what's kept me really loving the band is that injection that he brings to the band. One that was a decline for me, and this might be like low-hanging fruit, it's Blink-182. I know you're not the hugest fan of Blink and, and certainly not a hater, but the loss of Tom DeLong and the addition of Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio, as much as I love him, is to me, a terrible, terrible fit. I don't understand how you can take a band that is really a cult of personality. You know, you're a Tom fan, you're a Mark fan, you're a Travis fan. Take a third of this band out and yeah, we're still Blink-182 and we're still recording new records. You know, maybe if it was just a nostalgia act, you're still getting Mark, you're still getting Travis and they're playing the oldies, but they're, they're doing new music and I just, I don't get it at all. Oh man, I didn't even know that because as you said, I'm not not the uh, biggest fan. In- enjoy a lot of their earlier work, but have not kept in touch at all. But yeah, uh, uh, Blink-182 are, are a trio. That's what you get. Equal parts, equal fame, equal enjoyment. Everyone kind of had a favorite, but yeah, you you lose you know a third of that band. I just yeah, I don't get that either, man. You know, Hughes, Hughes, he, uh, he talked about how, you know, the, the early work um, from Tell All Your Friends is what kind of really roped him in, but it really was Where You Want to Be, uh, the album that dropped two years later, that kind of solidified his, his love for the band, and impressively so, because as he mentioned, you know, John is out, Fred is in, and that's a huge change to this band, or people thought potentially this could be a massive change to this band, and, and how could it work? to lose such an integral member and then replace them with Fred. He joins this band, they bring out Where You Want to Be, and as Mike put it, it kind of like, I guess from recording-wise, it's it's a step up without losing where they came from. It's still very much the similar sound to what we got from Tell All Your Friends. Dual vocals, dual guitars. It's just a bit more polished. It, it, it's, a, it's a very nice 
next step in their career. Do, do you enjoy this album as much as, the same as? How do you kind of see this one sitting for them? I think I love it more. I think, you know, if we were going to be cliche and go head to head, which we're not, I think Where You Want to Be is is a beautiful album to me. Set Phases to Stun is probably my favorite Taking Back Sunday song all round. I also just love that what they did with this record was really push it themselves. You know, they had a street team of, I think, 25,000 people, almost no radio play. They got onto some movie soundtracks. They put, they got themselves onto samplers and they had 700,000 record sales from basically their own hard work and their own name. And that's just a level of hustle you're not going to see in the music industry anymore because that model doesn't exist in all fairness. And the way people listen to music and consume music is completely different. But to be able to sign up 25,000 people to do work on the ground, to do promotion, to put your flyers up, to get your flyers in record stores and and ask record stores to order the record in, I think is really, really impressive. And that work ethic is still so evident whilst also being incredibly polished. Fred Mascherino, I think, is a huge step up from John Nolan. I know at times he struggled to work within the parameters of the band that had already been set, but he is an amazing singer. You know, Mike said, maybe even a technically better singer than Adam Lazara, but that doesn't always mean the best frontman. He knows exactly what his lane is. And that dueling vocalist thing was mastered on this record. In Tell All Your Friends, I think, and, and fairly, John Nolan and Adam Lazara are kind of like yelling at each other at times in, a, in the perfect way, in the way that makes sense for that record. But there is a synergy on where you want to be between Fred and Adam that I think just shows the incredible songwriting abilities of Fred Mascherino. His ability to come into a band that already has an established framework and make them better. It's so, it's so impressive, man. And I think what works so well on this album is that you really have two uh, distinctively different singers now too, where I, I find at times on Tell All Your Friends, there's a bit of mashing between Adam and John's vocals. A lot of it, as you said, is kind of them just rebounding off each other, a bit of call and response style with similar sounding voices, which for that album, as you said, works really, really, really well. But I think when they're then moving forward into a more polished, a better produced album, they've taken a bit more time, they're getting a bit more popular, and you bring someone like Fred in whose voice is distinctively different now from Adam's and and has a unique way of singing. His screams, or I guess more yells, uh, are what they are, are perfect. They're absolutely perfect for this style of music. They're perfect for the time. I loved that this band didn't, uh, you know, it would have been so tempting and so easy for them to be more of a screamo band. You know, they, they easily could have gone down that route. They've got two singers. They've got Adam doing cleans who, and, and doesn't really waver too much outside of what he does. Fred could have easily come in and they could have pushed it a little harder, been a little heavier, gone more of a screamo route. They don't. They, they, they're restrained. They keep it very rock heavy. Fred keeps a, a, a more of a gravelly kind of yelling vocals it's it's the most recognizable on a decade under the influence i feel probably my favorite taking back sunday song um you know there's amazing clips of it live and and really probably the song that made me fall in love more with this band because uh, i wasn't a huge fan yet uh, you know i'd heard a bit from tell all your friends i i was aware of this album but that song a decade under the influence is one of the best songs from the scene it's, it's taking back sunday's best song for me and really showcases just how good this album is and, and how good of a songwriter they are and how well Adam and Fred now work together. It, it, it's, it's an amazing album. I think Fred Mascherino remains the MVP of this band. You know, they, there are other members and 
We're, we're disregarding them in the way, in a way. Eddie Reyes, the rhythm guitarist, is an incredibly important member of this band. He's the founder of the band. Sean Cooper, the first bass player, really defined the sound, then replaced by Matt Rubano, who is an incredible bass player. And again, Phil, you're welcome. This bass player rules. Um, <laughs> you can really hear it on this record. You can hear the talent that Matt Rubano brought to this band. But Fred is what really kept this band together. You watch the live clips and he is perfect. It doesn't matter how sweaty and puffed out Adam is, how off key he is because he's too busy dancing like Mick Jagger. Fred is holding that shit together. And I think that then became evident again on Louder Now, their major label debut. By this time, it's their fourth record, but it's their first on a major label. And Louder Now is just the perfect package, the perfect follow-up to where you want to be. But I think the turmoil within the band that, you know, John Nolan had expressed back from his time, what ultimately made him leave, is really kind of starting to come through. Fred was frustrated with the parameters that were in place. You know, he's trying to basically replicate John Nolan whilst likely being better than John Nolan. And that's not a knock on John Nolan. It's just a credit to Fred. Like you come in and be like, yeah, yeah. Can you just do what the last guy was doing? It's like, well, I got all these ideas. Like I've got, I got, I got stuff we can do. Um, and I think Louder Now is an incredible record. My favorite on there is Error Operator, which is a quite a unique single of theirs. Um, and I still remember seeing them live before this record and after this record and seeing like the polish that had come to the band, you know, that major label kind of sheen, the extra money and the extra production and, you know, the the different mic to sing into for that other part of the song. And, yeah. You know, the, this, the banners on stage and things like that, a little bit more kind of pomp and circumstance. But, you know, I think one flaw of that to me was the guitar tones sound really crisp and maybe not for the better on this record. I think they're just a little too clean but there's still some absolute bangers on there. Yeah, it, I remember this album really, really well. Like, I remember buying this on CD. Uh, I, I feel that uh, I, I'd kind of started to now get more into Taking Back Sunday, was was liking them as a band. So I bought this, bought this album and was really into it. Actually had uh, What's It Feel Like to Be a Ghost as my ringtone on my old Motorola phone. I had, yes. that, I had that opening guitar riff as my ringtone for a really, really long time. And I think... You've hit the nail on the head, though. It, it's it's an album that it's really good. It makes a lot of sense, uh, especially considering they've now shifted over to a major label. It's incredibly well produced, but it does lack a little bit of that DIY style that Taking Back Sunday did so well. Did so well on two albums in a row where things do sound a little sketchier. Guitars sound raw. But I think that's what people quite liked about them. I think they weren't, you know, they're not the Foo Fighters. They're not a fucking stadium rock band who are there to, you know, put out perfectly polished albums and songs for for radio listening only. Whereas Louder Now starts to lean into that a bit, doesn't it? Like it has very much of a popular sound to it, a very radio friendly sound. I find it it's a little bit of a top heavy album for me. I find that. Uh, I, I sort of the first four to five tracks I'm quite into it I'm enjoying it and then I get a little bored and then it starts to taper off and I think some of that is the sound of it too like it's it is a little bit generic I guess uh there was there's a lot of the, you know this one is uh, more in that sweet spot era uh what is it 2006 07 something like that 06 so that's that's year 12 for us man like that's our that's our big year and yeah, I, I feel like even though I bought it and was very hopeful 
that it was going to be amazing. And it is a good album. And I do still really enjoy listening to those kind of key, you know, four to five songs up, up the top. I think it gets to 2020 Surgery and, I, and I'm just checking out. It's such a kind of like a little bit cliche, generic chorus that I it's catchy, but I don't love the song. Hasn't got a great vibe for me. It, 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 it is a good album. Don't, don't get me wrong. I do like it. I really enjoyed listening to it again this week. It, it brought back a lot of memories of of, uh, of our of our uh, our heydays, as Aaron would put it. But um, yeah, it, it's probably I don't know. I thought it was my favorite out of the three, but I'm not, I don't think so. I think it actually potentially is is coming in uh, coming in third. I reckon. But uh, that's just that's just my take. This record was produced by Eric Valentine, who the band actually wanted for Where You Want To Be. What Eric brought was this like tough guitar tone, you know, his work with bands like Queens of the Stone Age and stuff like that. But maybe that just wasn't the polish that these bands needed or that this scene needed. And I think we've gone down this path before. Record companies chewed up and spat these bands out. You know, they're like, hey, chuck strings into this, be more theatrical, have fire at your concerts. And maybe that stuff does sell more records, but it maybe doesn't contribute to the longevity of a band. So, you know, maybe Louder Now was the part where we started trailing off, but thank God we got, you know, two two amazing albums and one really good one. You know, I think so many bands would be jealous of having of three albums in a row that kind of stand up like that. Three albums back to back to back. I don't think we've had that yet. I don't think we've had a back to back to back, like a one, two, three punch. Is this it? Is this the first one, two, three punch? This might be it. And if we're wrong, listeners, please hit us up and tell us we're wrong. You uh, you seem to love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we love all of you. I don't know what he's referring to, actually. Someone's got some beef with Paul that I'm not aware of. <laughs> it's mainly it's mainly Instagram lurkers. I shouldn't be so upset. <laughs> oh, man, they're probably Russian bots. Don't be too, don't be too worried. Don't be too worried. But, uh, yeah, we, we really enjoy this band. They were a huge band at the time. And, uh, and and our good friend Greblo, obviously, uh, you know, a friend of ours at the time. I enjoyed listening to Taking Back Sunday with him. But let, let's hear from the man now and, and what his thoughts are. So fun fact that no one knows, um, Taking Back Sunday's albums are actually titled accordingly to signify the success of the band. All right? So tell all your friends. That's, that's the start, you know. That's saying, hey, friends, I found this band, Taking Back Sunday. You're going to love them. And then where you want to be, well, that's a sweet spot, baby. That's where you want to be. That's that album, you know. Bonus Mosh Part Pit Part Two. Don't even need to hear Bonus Mosh Pit Part One. That's that's where you want to be. That album. And then Louder Now. Well, that's saying, hey, here's Make Damn Sure. We're gonna play at top forty on the radio. The as louder now as you can get. Right next to Nally and probably Eminem. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Those albums are all signifying where the band wants to be. And um, well, you, you guys do your research. I probably, you probably know that none of this is um, confirmed by them. But how good is a decade under the influence? It's it's true poetry. And how good indeed. How good is A Decade Under the Influence? Your favourite. My favourite. I've gushed over it already. And I'm so glad I hadn't listened to that in six months' time. <laughs> what a pleasure. What a pleasure to have that back in my ears. Just a true poet. Really, really a, a wordsmith. And, and that was that was lovely. Extremely well put. Perfect. Mwah. Greblo, you're beautiful and we love you. Skinny Nick, how do you feel about a quiz? I'm, I'm actually really, really ready for one. I'm ready for it. Let's do it. 
Thanks to my boy Adam Lazarus for providing the uh, special quiz intro this week. What's it feel like to do a quiz, Skinny Nick? That's the question. After hearing that, uh, it feels real good, man. That was incredibly (laughs) impressive. That might be your best work yet, man. That might be it. All right. Today's quiz is a take on a classic high school party game, Would You Rather? And in this instance, I'll call it... So on today's game of, well, which would you prefer? I'll pose a dilemma (laughs) and you have to choose one of the options, but not both, and give a simple explanation for your reasoning. Any questions before we start? No questions. I am keen. I love it. Let's do it. First one on, well, which would you prefer? Taking Back Sunday's first two albums were released on independent label Victory Records and each sold more units worldwide than their major label debut Louder Now. Would you prefer to be signed to an independent label or a major label? I think I'm going to go with an indie label. I, I know it's it's probably like the cool option, uh, Hipster. but we have covered way too many bands already on this podcast who seem to have been a bit fucked over by major labels. So... I'm not that interested in that. It sounds just like too much fucking hard work and drifting too much away from what bands initially did so well on their own. And uh, I'm not going to really ever amount to much in music. So to even have an indie label interested (laughs) in wanting to sign anything I'm fucking doing, it's indie for me. I'm locking it in. Well, it started as hipster and it turned into humility. So that was a great answer, Skinny (laughs) Nick. All right, next one on, well, which would you prefer? Imagine you're Adam Lazra. Would you rather have Fred Mascherino or John Nolan be the Robin to your Batman? Man, this, this, is, this is tough because a little bit like the indie versus major, I feel, like, I feel like John's the indie and Fred's the major. And the cool answer is probably John. He's come back into the fold now after dropping you know, the debut record of which he's amazing on, and I think he's really good. And kind of back and forth, I guess, in my life as to who I like better. But even just today, even just in this episode, it's very hard to go by Fred. I I think you got to go Fred, even though John's probably cooler. I think Fred's better. I I think you're getting a better singer, a better guitar, and and probably the absolute the absolute giveaway is just how good Fred is live. You know, there's there's some clips of John out there. A lot of them, I guess, are more the newer clips since he's he's come back into the band. Not as much as from their early early days, but there's a lot of good stuff from Fred on there. Like, you know, you and I, I remember watching the Jimmy Kimmel live version of A Decade Under the Influence on repeat. Like, such a fucking cool live clip, and Fred is so 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 good on that song live so long answer i know you said to keep it short but i'm a friend man i'm looking in friend you've claimed that i'm the politician on this show but that was incredibly diplomatic great answer great answer you're stuck on a desert island would you rather louder now where you want to be or tell all your friends as your desert island disc which would you prefer man 
I thought I, I thought I knew this. So before the, before this week, I thought, as I think I alluded to before, that Louder Now was my favorite album. I thought it was. This week, I've really spent some time listening to all of them and as equally as I could. And for an album, like, as in the album that I like the most songs off, not necessarily one that just has my favorite single or that has a real cool guitar bit, but like can listen to it as a full album. It's actually tell all your friends. Hot damn. I love it. I think, I think it's my favorite. I think I go that, then I go where you want to be. And then I go louder now, but I think tell all your friends for me as, as best album. Happy 20th birthday. Tell all your friends. Skinny Nick loves you. That's yeah. sweet. All right. All right. Yeah. Great album. In 2006, at a show in London, Adam Lazara hit then-bass player Matt Rubano in the head while swinging his microphone during the first song of the set. (laughs) He was knocked out and bleeding profusely before returning and finishing the set before being hospitalized. Would you prefer to knock somebody in the head with a microphone or get hit in the head with a microphone? Uh, I feel like this is an easy answer or I'm just an asshole, but I'm hitting... I'm hitting someone else in there with a microphone every fucking day, man. Like, there is no way I want to be hitting the head with a microphone. I don't know if you remember, but at CCB, our, our, our old high school, which you spent a few years at, there was, there was a little band room upstairs in the old Coolock uh, building. This is, this is the old kind of historic building at our high school. And it was great. You know, there's a kit set up, some electric guitars, some bass. It was fun. But one session... We thought it would be fun to turn off the lights and try and jam with the lights off. <laughs> and it was pitch black in there. This was literally like a room in the middle of the building. There wasn't even any windows. It's all bl- all blacked in. And we're, we're thrashing around and playing something stupid. And I've tripped on something. And a, the symbol from the drum kit has gone straight in to the top of my head. Lights on. Everyone's like, what the fuck? And I've just got blood trickling down oh, my face. My uh, God. Had to leave school, get stitches. Luckily, a family friend's a doctor was able to just quickly pop down to her clinic. She stitched me back up and I went back to school. But uh, yeah, I think I've had three or four stitches in the head from a symbol. So I imagine a microphone to the head could be just as painful. Um, so yeah, fuck that. I'm hitting. I'm hitting you in the head with a microphone, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, was about, I was about to get to that. Like you and I have been in so many bands together. It's probably me who's going to cop that microphone. <laughs> and I'm imagining you're kind of like winding the mic around, like setting up your microphone stand, and just like clumsily, like just spin and hit me. <laughs> We're not even playing yet. It's not even rock and roll. You've just knocked me out in the like sound check. <laughs> for sure, man. It's in a clumsy, awkward, very uncool fashion. That's for sure. Would you prefer to listen to your lead? Least favorite genre 24 7 for a week or not listen to your favorite genre for a year and i guess out of curiosity i'd need to know what your least favorite genre is if you even have one i don't necessarily really have one but i guess like as a loose genre anything kind of like scatty jazzy is just a bit too much for me like proper <laughs> you know gross fucking scat jazz or aussie hip-hop You know, they're both shit. What about Aussie (laughs) hip-hop over scat jazz? Yeah, yeah, that'd be it. With an EDM, (laughs) just fucking floating some beats out to me. But um, yeah, so I reckon given that and how bad that would sound, I reckon I'm going to go with a year without my favorite genre because I don't also necessarily have a favorite genre. So if I had to pick one, I'd go with one, you know, whatever it might be. And 
Uh, I would lose that for a year, but I listen to, I think like a lot of people, I listen to a little bit of everything and to a little bit of everything all of the time. But uh, (laughs) I reckon I could easily just can my favorite because it would probably only be my favorite that week anyway and listen to everything else there is to offer in the world, have a great year, and then just be super excited when that all flows back into my life. So that's my answer. And uh, please never start a band that is Aussie hip-hop over Scat Jazz. <laughs> oh, man, you just give me a great idea for your birthday present at least. <laughs> no, fuck. Reese already fucked me on my birthday one year by giving me a, a Cal Wilson signed birthday card <laughs> telling her that I'm a huge fan when, in fact... I'm not a huge fan. Uh, one of the best stitch-ups ever. I, I think I still have that the is, card. I don't think I've that is it yet, fantastic. Yeah. To go back to Flavor Flav, it's nearly as good as someone getting Flavor Flav to do a cameo wishing George Powell well. You know, I hear you having a bit of a time, a bit of a hard time lately, George. You know, best of luck with the court case. Yeah. Oh, no. Man, I didn't think we'd be talking about Flavor Flav so much today. Third Flavor Flav reference, Public Enemy played in Bendigo all those years ago when yeah, you, know, did, you me, Phil and his sister went road trip. And we saw fucking Andrew Flavor WK. Flav. Yes. <laughs> Man, what this day. is... This is a deep dive into Flavor Flav, that's for sure. All right, I got a last one for you. Okay, okay. Would you prefer to get the Beatles back together or break up your least favorite band? Okay, yeah. I, okay. I think, just wait, breaking, break up my least favorite band so then they never make music again. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you a bit of a reference point. Like, you know how much I love the Beatles. Well, I would get my least favorite band, My Echo, back together <laughs> just to break them up over getting the Beatles back together. Um, I think I'm just, I think I'm intrigued enough just to bring the Beatles back together. I, I think uh, even though their, their catalog is, is enormous and they release so much music in what was actually a pretty short time when you think about it, uh, I would be very intrigued to see what the Beatles were doing these days. You know, are they just going to be like every other, you know, the Rolling Stones, Elton John? I'm expecting that if they were back, they potentially would have kept pushing things and wouldn't have just been playing only the old hits and that's only any anyone ever wanted. I think these guys are too talented. I feel like there was more more in there. Or at least maybe, or even just to see where all their solo careers went and, and stuff. Uh but yeah, bring the Beatles back. I think everyone wants that. And also fucking bringing some humans back to life. That would be impressive. So um, That's amazing technology that. alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be very impressive. Even if they didn't strum another chord or sing another note, to see life brought back in front of our eyes, that would be beautiful. Well, I think you've done a fantastic job at answering these, well, which would you prefer questions. And seeing as it's such a high school game, we'll wrap it up with a little bonus round disgustingly gross classic high school game fuck marry or kill adam oh, Lazara, john nolan or fred mascherino oh okay yep it's been a while since played the old uh, fmk but um fmk let's go this is probably again i reckon this would honestly be 99 percent of people's uh response but you're fucking adam you're marrying john and you are killing fred oh shit i think cred i think fred has just a face you'd want to punch. Like, a great musician, but he looks fucking annoying. And he also did that solo thing, The Colour Fred, which was shit. So, killing him, 
John seems like a nice dude taking him home to Ma. But I'm fucking Adam. That's it. That is my FM code. Oh my God. Honestly, I don't have a better response to that. I, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, someone was going to have to be killed with that explanation. Thank you so much, Skinny. That was an incredible game of... So let's move on. Let's wrap things up with just a quick little look at what happened to Taking Back Sunday post Louder Now. You know, Fred left Taking Back Sunday. He claimed it was to go and focus a little bit more on the color Fred. Not a band that I enjoyed. You just made that very yeah. clear as well. I mean, you know, we, there's been a lot of love in this episode. Maybe we'll just you know, leave that one in the corner. But it was in the cold open. When Fred left, he had this to say. There were just problems between the five of us about writing who was going to do it and how we were going to do it. We weren't being very productive because we were fighting too much about that stuff. The band was more about cooking food than making music. <laughs> what the fuck what? does that even mean, Fred? I don't what? even know what that means, man. That's And cooking food's great. Who doesn't fucking love to cook? You gotta eat. This has never been addressed and we don't really know the full ins and outs. Earlier when I mentioned, you know, he struggled at times to work within the framework that was set for him, that would have been really difficult. You know, this is an incredibly talented guy who'd been at the front of bands himself, who was subsequently at the front of bands since, and bringing music to a group of guys that had already established themselves before he came along and it had just stopped working. You know, there was a lot of tension in the band, a lot of pressure. And they moved on without him. They added Matthew Farsi to the band and they released a record called New Again. Now, this is possibly Taking Back Sunday's weakest record. You really start to see what Fred's loss did for the band, not just vocally, but, but musically. Like this guy's an incredible guitarist and he's no longer around. But on the other side of the coin, Matthew Farsi was completely underutilized and incredible talent. And if you see the live from Oren Sands DVD where he is doing the John or Fred role, he's an incredible musician and an incredible singer. And that's a live show well worth checking out. But he was completely underutilized and it was a quite an underwhelming era for the band. And they went back to the classic lineup. They brought back John Nolan. They brought back Sean Cooper and they returned to the five that made tell all your friends you know your favorite record and again i'm going to use hindsight as a benefit here but at the time that seemed amazing but it's not necessarily always great to go back to your roots to go back to the past when you have made so many steps forward this didn't cut it for me you know it was awesome to see them do tell all your friends 10 year tour you've got john back you've got the guy who did it but we've seen taking back sunday in this iteration and i find john nolan's kind of spirit on the songs that aren't his really disappointing i i see i feel that he's not into it he looks bored I, and it's not just his stage presence because you see him kind of switch back into gear on his own songs and it's just been kind of hard you know they even did a where you want to be anniversary tour with john on vocals and without fred to me that just doesn't cut it yeah i it, it's hard and I, I think it does come back a little bit i mentioned before where they're very different vocalists, you know. Fred Fred bought a very uh, unique and individual flavor to the band, and he, as you said, he was kind of already an established musician and very confident in his ability, in his singing ability, in his guitar ability, and and he's very good at what he does. John, you know, he he did one very early album or was involved in the very early workings of this band and, and did a good job at the time. I think everyone agrees he did a good job, but the knock kind of generally that's followed him has been the effort live and, and sometimes it falling a bit flat. I've seen a few clips 
on YouTube, some newer stuff. And I think some of it is, as you said, just that kind of lack of effort on the songs that, that aren't his songs. And yeah, I, I think anyone uh, would probably struggle to try and replicate Fred's parts if they're, if they're asked to, you know, be in the band and, and do that. Uh, so yeah, I, I just wonder if you bring someone like that back, you reform the original lineup, maybe just stick to just, just playing the early, early stuff or anything new that as a new five you want to, want to write. And, and not that the fans would be overly impressed with those live shows because they're going to miss out on, on a great chunk and, and, and a couple of really good albums, um, with Fred on them, but you know, if John can't do it or it doesn't seem quite up to scratch when he does do it, yeah, maybe, maybe don't. No, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, you kind of need to know your limits and they've got a huge catalogue of songs that John is a part of. And obviously the fans still want to hear a bunch of songs. But just like when Fred joined the band, everyone wanted to hear Cute Without the E. You kind of, you have to do that fan service. You know, they're the reason you've got an audience. But 2016, they released a song called Tidal Wave, which I thought was pretty cool. It was quite a change in direction for them. It was a little bit more post-hardcore and I thought that was really cool. So there were definitely these little flourishes of them kind of stepping into new territory, but ultimately it was the love we had for those early three records, incredibly foundational records for us, important to the scene, important to lots of other little emos out there, not just us, and some really wonderful memories as we traipsed back through them over the last week. Incredibly well put, man. It, it really is um, been an absolute pleasure this week listening to those three albums and that era and period of Taking Back Sunday. Absolute kings in the scene and, and always will be. So, you know, I haven't really got anything else to add. I really fucking enjoyed that quiz, man. That was heaps of fun. But is there is there anything else you want to want to do before we wrap things up? No, nah, that's it for me, man. Taking back Sunday rule. That's it. Totally agree. So that's it this week for the Violence and Sunshine podcast. As always, follow us on Instagram at Violence and Sunshine. That's where we generally share, you know, information about upcoming shows, past shows. Uh, that's the best place to hit us up as well. So jump on Instagram, give us a follow and get in touch with us. If you're already uh, subscribed on any podcast uh, app, thank you so much. If not, we really appreciate uh, jumping on board, subscribing, leaving a five-star rating or a review and just spread the word. Tell your friends about the show. Uh, we, we love hearing from everyone and uh, we've had a lot of new listeners recently who have been reaching out saying they're enjoying what we're doing. So uh, as always, greatly, greatly appreciated. In the words of Adam Lazaro, will you tell all your friends about the Violence of Sunshine <laughs> podcast? No, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We appreciate every single one of you. Make sure you join us next week when we'll be exploring Maylene and the Sons of Disaster. Pretty niche band, but a band we absolutely love and a band that has just announced a comeback after years in the wilderness. I'm Paul. And I'm Nick. We're all choir boys at best, intrusive and arrogant. I'm going to put, there's a clip of Fred, the color Fred or whatever band he's in now and Eddie Reyes's band, they played together. And then like at the end of the night, they like teamed up and did some Taking Back Sunday songs. And I don't know if you, do you know that meme where it's just like, 
hey, mom, can we have dot, dot, dot? And mom's like, we have dot, dot, dot at home. It's like that. It's like, hey, mom, can we have Taking Back Sunday? No, kid, we have Taking Back Sunday at home. Man. <laughs> Fuck it, some like That's black great. and gold shit, man. I'm going to put that on the Instagram for show.